0: So, um, I want to just share on the cross right now, and then we can maybe sing a little bit afterwards, but it feels like um, I really, I watched that clip beforehand and yesterday just to see if it would work, but it was amazing just as we were watching it, how the presence of the Lord came and ministered to us, just fresh revelation of the grace and the goodness and the kindness of God. I think sometimes... When we think of God, we can have very distorted views of who he is and how he thinks about us. But when we look at the cross, and we look at God through the cross, we get a, a, a beautiful revelation of the kindness and the mercy of, of, um, of God. Um, I, I, um, when I first, I grew up hearing the Bible stories about Jesus dying on the cross and the, was in kids' church most of my life. But um, when, uh, when the movie The Passion of the Christ came out, that was some of the clips that they were playing there. I gave you the edited version, mostly because the, the full two-hour version of The Passion of the Christ is very difficult to watch. Um, it's very gruesome. It's very uh, inappropriate for kids and things like that. Um, but that in itself is quite significant, isn't it? That the cross was so brutal, it's difficult to actually watch. Um, it's one of the hardest things I've ever, ever watched. And I remember um, when I was in the cinema watching it for the first time, as the movie was playing, people were just breaking down and crying in the cinema. Um, and it was, a, it was an incredibly, I'll never forget that night. Um, but something broke inside of me as well, in a good way. Um, something of like the outward form of religion that broke and it became real for me. Like, this was a person. Jesus was a, was a man, like me. And he, and he suffered. He went through all of that. And the question that really burned in my heart was, why? Um, why, Jesus? Why did you have to go like that? Why did you have to die like that? Yes, I understand you had to die. But even that in itself can be difficult to understand. Like, why did he even have to die? Is a question people often wrestle with, and I've wrestled with. Why couldn't God just forgive us? Somebody does something wrong to me, I can just forgive them, right? So they say, sorry, like, okay, cool, I'll forgive you. Why couldn't God just forgive us? Um, and I remember there was a pamphlet that was going around just after the movie came out. And all it said, had a picture of Jesus on the cross, and all it said on the front was, why? It was a great, great follow-up, because that's the question when everyone left that cinema was like, why? You know? Confronted with the reality of, of the cross, um, and if you've grown up hearing about the cross, you might think it's old news, but it's sometimes helpful to look, to look at it from an outsider's perspective and realize actually there is something incredibly significant and paradoxical about the cross. I remember having two Muslim guys around in my house and we were chatting about their faith and I was chatting about my faith and a guy looked at my wall and he just smiled and I said, well, what's funny? He said, "And I, you've got a cross hanging on your wall. So I said, well, why why is that funny? And he said, well, you realize that if the cross is true, if that really did happen, that would be the biggest failure in the history of God. God, if he was God in the flesh, the bad guys won. God was powerless. God was weak. God was mocked. He was the, the joke of the story. He was humiliated. He was... Betrayed. He so said, if that's true, that's an indictment on the power of God. God's obviously not powerful, if that's the case. And I was like, I, I, I wasn't just shocked because of how sacrilegious that was. I was shocked because I, I'd never really thought of it that way before. I'd always been taught that the cross is the triumph of, of Christ. It's like, yes, it is. But it's not immediately obvious why it is. So everything he said was true. You know, the bad guys won. Uh, in that moment, Jesus, you know, usually if you watch the, st- the movies, the good guy doesn't die. He gets saved at the last minute, or he rescues himself at the last minute, and then he kills the bad guys. But in the story of Jesus, the hero of the story dies, and he dies a very um, embarrassing death. He died naked, for example. I mean, it's, it's a shameful way to die being crucified, but to be hanging naked, that in itself is incredibly humiliating and, and embarrassing that the Savior of the world would be hanging on a cross, naked, being mocked, being spat on, Um, it needs an explanation. Um, And I I think that the question of why did Jesus die on the cross is a crucially important question to even understanding what the gospel means. If you don't understand why Jesus died on the cross, you don't actually fully understand the gospel. So it's, it's worth spending some time looking at the why. And uh, this morning, uh, I, I believe God wants to show us who he is by looking through the cross and and, at, and answering some of the questions about the cross. When, when we think of God, we often only have a very single dimensional understanding of what kind of person he is. It's usually the thing you've heard most throughout your life. You tend to see God mostly through that one particular aspect of who he, he is. And that often happens when we don't know somebody very well. If you know of somebody through a friend, you'll usually only know that one or two things about that person. But when you get to know them fully, you realize actually every individual is multifaceted. Um, and at the cross, we learn a few crucial things about God. And so um, maybe you can you can go to the next slide. What what does the cross reveal about the nature of who God is? It reveals two things, and I'm summarizing now even before I start, just so you, you can follow me as, as I go. It reveals something about the justice of God. It was the justice of God that made the cross necessary. It's a big answer to the question of why. Why did he have to die, number one? And number two, why did he have to die like that? Why couldn't it have just been a, pain, a painless death, you know, a bullet to the head or whatever? And, and secondly, the love of God... Made the cross a reality. So just because it was necessary for our salvation, that didn't guarantee that it was going to happen. You know, if somebody had to tell me, you know, I need a million rand in order to get free of my debt, that is what is necessary for your freedom. There's no guarantees I'm going to say, okay, cool, I'll, I'll pay your bill. The, the two, are, two are, are very different things, right? Cross, the justice made God, the cross necessary, the love of God, Made it a reality. Um, and so, there's, there's no other place that I know of in Scripture where you get a dramatic um, demonstration of, of both the love and the justice of God at the same time. The, the, God has got this wonderful way of revealing Himself, not just through words, but through dramatic historical moments where he does things. And the cross is probably the biggest demonstration, not just of a good sermon on the love of God, but of a, a vivid real-life action on the part of God which demonstrates his love. So I want to start with the justice of God. You can go to the next slide. Um, the justice of God is what made the cross necessary. And it says, says as much in Romans chapter 3, and now we often think that the cross demonstrates the love of God. It does. But listen to what this scripture says. God presented him, Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice. Because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. It's interesting, the cross demonstrates God's justice. Um, And that is because His justice is that part of who He is that loves punishing what is wrong and rewarding what is good. That is the heart of what justice is all about. Justice is about getting what you deserve, right? Right? And sometimes getting what you deserve is punishment if you've done something wrong. Sometimes getting what you deserve is reward if you've done something good. And so the cross demonstrates the justice of God. Now, what's interesting when you think about the justice of God, you know, we have lots of analogies for God. For example, we know that He is God, our Father, and that's one of the the analogies which Christians uh, identify most with, and it's a beautiful revelation of the nature of who he is and his relationship with us. But what's interesting about thinking about God as our Father is it doesn't say a lot about justice. Fathers, you think of your father, you don't think primarily of justice, usually. You think of uh, somebody who's intimate, somebody who's caring, somebody who's loving. When we think of the justice of God, justice is an attribute which we most often associate with a good judge, A good judge is known for his justice, for his fairness, for his impartiality, for um, punishing uh, things the way that they should be. Not too much, not too little. That is a good quality in a judge, right? Um, Or you might think of a good king as 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 a king or a ruler who rules with justice, with fairness. That's a good quality to have in a leader or a government or a king. And it's a good quality of God because he is king. He is judge. Um, I want to actually put it up there, um, the next slide, at uh, Genesis chapter 18, verse 25, where God is referred to as the judge of all the earth. And when Abraham is praying to God, God is just about to judge um, Sodom and Gomorrah. And he has told Abraham that this is what his plan was. And. Abraham was wrestling with God, and he was reasoning with God, and he was uh, dialoguing with God, and he he called upon the nature of God as God who judges the whole earth. And he said, far be it from you, God, to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. then he says, will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? Um, and as that story plays out, God, the judge of all the earth, does do what is right. And in actually in that instance, he, he chose not to kill the righteous with the wicked. He actually made a way for the righteous to escape from the judgment that was coming on the wicked. Um, but this is a crucial aspect that the cross reveals about God, that God does punish sin. And he punishes sin far more severely than we usually think. And when we look at the cross, we realize the reason why it was such a severe punishment was because he is a, he is a righteous, holy, impartial, a just judge um, who punishes sin to its necessary extent. And, and this is important for us to recognize as, as humans, but also as Christians, um, because justice is important to us as well. Justice is very important to us, and the reason why justice so, is so important to us is because we are made in God's image, and there's something of God's just nature that resonates with us. How often, if you if are a parent, you don't have to teach your child what fairness is; they will they will make it very uh, clearly known to you. If something is done unfairly, uh, at certain seasons of their life, is all you ever hear is that's unfair. You go, you know that's unfair. She got more than I did or whatever. Justice is, is, is something that's ingrained in us. But even movements in the world today like social justice movements that are fighting for the cause of, of those who have been mistreated, that's partly a consequence of us having an imprinted sense of justice and fairness that we got from God himself. And, and it is something that's intrinsically wrong when a judge doesn't do what's right. I remember when I was a school teacher... Um, one of the ladies was um, had a court case, and uh, she was called on the judge to arbitrate between her and another person. And the judge made contact with her to negotiate a deal, a monetary deal off the books. Um, and there was something outrageous about that. You know, how can a, how can you administrate justice like that? Justice can't go to the to the highest bidder. You know. There's something intrinsically outrageous about that. A judge should do what's right. A judge should stand up for what's true, no matter what the sacrifice. Um, So the qualities that we look for in a judge are different to the qualities we look for in a father. True? If you go before a judge, and there's been a serious crime that's happened, and the judge says, you know, I've heard all the evidence, and this man is guilty. But you know what? I'm a very merciful, kind guy. So I'm going to let you off with a warning. Don't do it again. Can you imagine? Imagine. Imagine the outrage. It's like, well, I was the one that was victimized. How can you let this guy off? Shouldn't that be my choice? You know, just because you're a merciful person. You say, you know, like, I, I'm a very kind, merciful person. I, I think, you know, I believe that he's a good person deep down. And, and, and so I'm going to let you off with a warning. It's like, well, he killed my He killed my relative. You know, your job is to administrate justice, not to be a a kind, merciful guy, right? Does that make sense? And God is the judge of all the earth. It's one of the responsibilities he has is to administrate justice. And the cross reveals something very profound about the justice and the righteousness of God. One of the things that people often struggle with, and even sometimes prevents them from coming to faith in God, is they will say things like, you know, if God is alive, if God is true, if he's loving and he's kind, why does he allow the wicked to get away with such atrocities on this earth? Especially if you've experienced it firsthand. Why did God allow this person to do that? It's a a real struggle that people have. Um, There's something the cross has to say about that, which is that God doesn't allow wicked people To get away with what they've done. The question is when. When we die. The Bible says every single person. Every single person who has ever lived. Will stand before a righteous judge. And it says we will give an account for every single word. Every single action. And we will either be rewarded or punished accordingly. And so in this life. Wicked people get away with things. But they don't get away with things. Every person will stand before a righteous judge. And the cross tells us that that is true. The cross was the wrath of God poured out on his own son for sin. And so, um, God didn't just forgive our sin. God made a way for our the penalty of our sin to be paid. I want to actually do a demonstration now, if I could. Sometimes it helps to just act it out. Otherwise it gets too abstract and conceptual. So I'm going to be the judge. I'm going to need um, one guilty person. One skellum. Neil, Neil is the skellum. don't know why they picked you. And then I'm going to need... I'm going to need... Um, uh, I'm going to need the administrator of justice. <laughs> okay, so uh, Butler, you can bring the um, the perpetrator here into the into the courtroom, and I'm going to be presiding. So you can. He's obviously he's obviously locked up. Okay, you can stand there. Great. So the charges the charges have been brought against Neil. Um, And I have considered all the evidence and I've listened to all the witnesses and the circumstantial evidence and I'm going to pronounce that, Neil, on the charge of murder, (laughs) you have been found guilty. And I am now going to sentence you to 30 lashes, which Bootle is going to administrate... And uh, that is my finding. And the picture here is that God pronounces judgment, and then he steps off of the judge's seat, and he then takes the place of Neil and says, I'm going to take the punishment which I have pronounced on Neil, and you are going to punish me. The 30 lashes that were coming his way. I'm going to take. And he takes off his judicial robes and uh, allows himself, submits himself to the penalty that should have come to Neil. Does that make sense? Thank you, guys. And so there's, there's something that's significant about the way in which God administers, administers justice. The punishment will get paid, but the choice is. Whether we ourselves will bear our own punishment or whether through faith in Christ he becomes the substitute who pays our sacrifice for us. And that's something Jesus willingly chose to do. If you can put up that next quotation about what it means to be justified, it's the next next slide. To be justified, um, this is a quote, is God's gracious work of bestowing upon guilty sinners... A justified justification, which means he's acquitting them in the court of heaven without prejudice to his justice as their judge. So he declares the sentence. The sentence for our sin is death. And he administers that sentence. But Jesus submitted himself to be an eternal an sacrifice, which means to take our place so that the justice of God is poured out. And so that is what the cross reveals about God's justice. But as I said before, the justice of God made the cross necessary, but it didn't make it the reality that was motivated by God's love. So you can put up the next slide, which speaks about it's the love of God that made the cross a reality. And it says in Romans chapter 5, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died, for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Interesting, we read earlier the cross demonstrates God's justice. Here it says the cross demonstrates his love. In another translation it'll say, But God demonstrates his love for for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And, and this is a very significant um, revelation of the nature of God. That he is merciful. And I want you to just imagine for a minute. If you were God and you had created a world to reveal your glory and your goodness. And you had created humans in your likeness to have relationship with you. God intentionally created us so that we could have relationship with Him. That is why He made us. But consistently throughout history, the history of God's perfect world, we as God's creation have rejected God, have gone our own way, have not only rejected God but oftentimes hated God, resented Him, been resentful of His lordship, of His leadership, been distrustful of Him. And decided to go our own way. And very often by going our own way have destroyed his creation. And um, made enemies of people and of God. And yet, God extends mercy. He's wanting to reconcile. And I wonder if you've ever put yourself in 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 those shoes. Would you have? (laughs) Would you have come from heaven become a person taken on flesh and died to reconcile your own people whom you created to yourself. And so the love of God is an extraordinary extraordinary thing to think that Jesus died on a cross. The same Jesus who the Bible says by his word the world was created. The tree was created. The same tree which they made the cross out of was created by Jesus, who by a word created the world, that he would come into the world and die. It was motivated by love. It was motivated by mercy. And so the picture that God often gives in Scripture is that God came to redeem his wayward wife, the woman who had been betrothed to him, it was unfaithful and wayward and sinful. He came to redeem her, to buy her back, to win her back, and to renew his love for her. And so, um, what should our response be? There's two things that I think we can learn from the cross. Number one, you can put up the next one. The love the cross changes our perspective of ourselves. Changes our perspective of ourselves because it demonstrates that we cannot save ourselves. It demonstrates that we, we're more sinful than we thought. It demonstrates that our, our self-righteousness is not enough to save us. Let me put it this way. When I watched The Passion of the Christ, I was a teenager who had grown up in a Christian home. And I know we like to talk about how sinful humans are, but I was a pastor's kid. It was hard for me. You know, when preachers talk about how sinful humans are, I was like, but I've never murdered anyone. I've never I've never done anything atrociously bad. You know, it, it was hard for me. And when I watched the cross, I was like, I knew why Jesus died. He paid for my sins. And I was like, but... But they're not that bad, you know. Why, why would you have to suffer that much to pay for my sins? You're just one or two lashes would have sufficed. I'm not—I'm not that bad of a person, right? I'm not the only one that thinks that way. But I'm trying to make the point that the cross reveals; it humbles us. The cross is good news, but it's humbling news, man. It's like, really, is that what it is? That what it costs to pay for my sins? That—that—that's a huge debt that God paid, and it kind of makes you reflect on. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm not as good of a person as I thought I was. Um, and as you, you look at Scripture, you begin to see God is far holier than we realize. And we see this even in the way that Scripture speaks. You can go to the next one. Just a couple of examples. Um, when Jesus spoke about sin, you realize that His standard of sin is so different to ours. For example, here's a couple of examples. Every time we look at another person... With lust to desire another person, Jesus would say, "To me, that's as sinful as committing adultery. It's as disgust, disgusting and atrocious as committing adultery." And you think, "Wow, God, you, your standard of sin is really different to mine." It didn't, it didn't seem that big, big of a deal, but to God it is, because he's, he's pure, He's homeless, but holy. The Bible says He knows no sin. He's, he's, he is light. The Bible says. How's this one If you hate your brother you are a murderer from God's perspective the, the, the more you look at God the more you realize he is so much more holy than I am The Bible says you know love your love your neighbor as you love yourself That for me is the most profound and difficult thing I've ever heard anyone say it's so co- completely counterintuitive. I I definitely do not have as my default that I love other people as much as I love myself. <laughs> it's so counterintuitive. But yet Jesus does. Jesus does. Jesus loves other people as much as, more than, he loves himself. And when you behold Christ, you realize, God, I I, I am so, so far short of your holiness. I I fall so far short. Um, It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's not our instinctive uh, default position. That's something we learn and something we grow in as we get renewed by the Holy Spirit. And so the summary of the situation is from Isaiah. This is a summary statement. We all, like sheep, have gone astray Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. He paid the price for our sins. And so we learn from the cross that we are more sinful than we ever dared to realize. The other thing we learn from the cross is about God. Go to the next one. The the cross changes our perspective about God because it teaches us that God is much more holy than righteous, just, pure, than we could ever have imagined. And it's good to have that humbling perspective about God, that yes, we think we know a lot about God, but actually the more you realize, the more you see him, the more you realize, man, he's, he's really different to me, actually. I can only aspire to grow, to be like him. But we also learn he's, he's far more merciful, loving, and kind than we could ever imagine. And that's the one thing that I think people generally know when they see the cross, which is profoundly true, and must never become over-familiar to us. You know, he's far more merciful, far more kind, far more gracious. And just while we were breaking bread earlier, I don't know, it was just something of that that resonated with me, like, Jesus, when I look at you on the cross, I realize, man, you are so merciful. You are so, so gracious. You are so kind. And if you've walked with God for any measure of time, you'll know that. Isn't he so, when you see him, you're just like, God, you're too good to be true. You are too kind to be true. You, you, you are so incredibly gracious. You are always treating me better than I deserve. Always. In my good days and my bad days, he is always treating us and me far better don't you don't you find it humbling when you do something wrong and you're feeling condemned and then God blesses you? And you think, now's not a good time, God. You're supposed to you're supposed to be punishing me. It's true. You're asking for something. And you're like, God, I would really love it if you could provide my needs in this area. And he does, but he like lavishly goes far beyond what you asked him for. And you're like, God, wait, wait. This is excessive, Lord. You've been too generous with me, Lord. I didn't even ask for this. And he's like But he's gracious, man. He's kind. He's a good, loving father. He says, those, you who are fathers, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts. How much more would I not graciously give you um, what's good? And And he ultimately showed us that through Jesus. He gave us the most precious thing that he had, which was his son. And he is far more merciful, loving, and kind than we could ever imagine. And I think as a Christian, our joy is as we keep growing in God, we we discover new aspects of His mercy. We discover new waves of His love. And it just fills us with wonder and and worship and joy all over again. Amen? And so, if you are here this morning, and you are hearing all of these things, essentially what I am explaining is the gospel. The gospel is the Christian way of saying the good news. That's what the gospel means. Gospel literally means good news. The good news about what Christ has done. And throughout scripture, throughout the ages, the response has often been to hearing the gospel of, of God has been, what shall I do? In a lot of what you said, what should I do? So that's the next question which we're going to close with. What should I do? We've got the next one. What should I do to be saved? What should I do to make this truth about the cross my reality? And the Bible would answer that in Mark chapter 1 verse 15. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Simply that means to repent means to turn away from your sinful life, your rebellious life. Your way with life, where you've lived without God, where you've lived for yourself, where you've lived for your flesh, your carnality. To turn away from your own sinful life, turn back to God. And to believe that the death of Christ was a sufficient sacrifice, was a sufficient payment for my sin. That I cannot earn my own way to heaven, but Christ has paid my debt. And that through faith in Jesus, through humbly just accepting the gift that he gives, I am washed, I am forgiven, I am redeemed, and I am made right with God. Amen? So let's pray.